Welcome to the Powering Potential with Robert Walters podcast, where we speak to business leaders around the globe to bring you the latest trends and insights from the world of work. Hello and welcome to this special podcast mini-series from Robert Walters in New Zealand. I'm Andy McLean, a journalist and podcaster, and in this mini-series, we're taking you behind the scenes of one of the world's most trusted and admired sporting institutions, New Zealand Rugby. We're here to find out how a relatively small organisation from a relatively small nation manages to deliver some of the greatest rugby union sides the world has ever seen. And we're here to talk with the insiders who make New Zealand rugby an employer of choice for top talent, not just in New Zealand, but the world over. In this episode, we're talking talent with Chief People, Safety and Wellbeing Officer, Andrea Brunner. We talk about high performance off the pitch as well as on it. We talk about retention strategies and we talk about how employers can rise to skills shortages. Helping us to do that is ardent rugby fan and recruitment leader, Shay Peters, who is Chief Executive of Robert Walters in New Zealand and Australia. So without further ado, let's jump in and hear the discussion. Okay, so let's start with a a personal reflection, Andrea, before we launch into life at New Zealand Rugby. um, First, could you tell us a little bit about your career path to date and and in particular, any broad philosophy or guiding principles that you personally have when it comes to recruitment? So after university, I started work uh, in a law firm and I did mainly employment law and then I transitioned to a broader role working in employment relations in a large listed bank. Um, and that's really how I ended up in the HR field. So I've been in various roles in HR. I spent the majority of my career in financial services uh, up until a couple of years ago when I had a milestone birthday and I decided, you know, it was time to make a change in my career experience. Uh, hence, uh, about 18 months ago, I joined the New Zealand Rugby Barlow. And sorry, Andy, I know that part two of that question was kind of any broad philosophies or guiding principles that... Um, I had a lot of recruitment and um, I think for me and it's certainly been home over the last kind of couple of decades of uh, working at HR and and, um, and personally um, is really about seeing a high bar when it comes to values and behaviours so I always you know personally say to recruit for um, values behaviours organisational but assuming a you know a basic level of confidence for the role um, and really not to compromise um, on those when you're making um, proving making appointments and then I think secondly um, for me it's always been about equal opportunities so having everyone um, you know should be given an equal opportunity to be considered for position again to which they are suited um, but you know having spent a lot of my time coming through banking in the 90s and through law firms and you know actually have made you know huge inroads into that in terms of just yeah having recruitment processes that are you know free from discrimination that the organisations, you know, kind of part of the more diverse and inclusive workplaces. And so, um, yeah, those two things for me um, are probably things that I've held on to um, and are still really critical. I'm always interested in the values and behaviours piece, um, particularly from a recruitment perspective, because as somebody looking at from the outside in, I think to myself, it's quite hard 
to be able to gauge somebody's behaviors and values in the interview process because you're kind of looking at how they do their work in a way that's sort of what this is all about so how do you kind of go about assessing that when you are recruiting I think in um, a couple of things, one, particularly in internal, um, you know, internal processes, you have got a better understanding of that. So certainly, you know, when you're looking at making robots uh, internally, and I've worked in many organisations where people say, oh, well, you know, they get great results, but they're difficult to work with. Or, be a, you know, oh, but that's just so-and-so. And, and I'm always like, doesn't I don't think results for me are out, outcomes and behaviours. So if people are getting great outcomes, but actually the behaviours aren't right for me, they're not a great person to promote or to hire or to give good opportunities to. So internally, yes, it's easier than when you're externally um, you know, hiring someone. I think the thing is about, particularly in New Zealand, we'll talk a bit more about New Zealand rather because it is more of a global organisation than a local one. But, you know, New Zealand's a small country as well. And so often, and particularly within our field, which is within a, a sporting context, um, you can very quickly you know, get a gauge of, you know, how people have, um, yeah, um, you know, kind of conduct themselves in those broader, in those broader forums. So, um, we, you know, I've seen time and time again where people have maybe had a bit of an inkling that someone isn't right, but they've persevered anyway. Um, and typically that doesn't end well. Yeah, it's interesting. The power of the, of the gut feel, hey, it's seen so often it's right. Um, so Shay, uh, when you're looking uh, with your clients at, gauging people's values and behaviours and trying to give clients an accurate representation of that for them. Any particular advice that you have for them? At the moment, we're working in a um, far more purpose-led global labour economy. People are a lot more upfront around what they stand for, what they believe in and what they like to see from an employer. And it's almost it's almost flipped because they're, they're giving you the insight into their own values and beliefs it can be a lot easier to match them up with the right organisation. And then it's around advising the employer on you know, where that person is coming from and what their background is. But it is far more um, upfront or overt than what it used to be. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's kind of like we've all learned that language and, and what that's all about in the past few years. It's much more commonly talked about. Absolutely well and truly. Not to digress us, but I went to, we had a, um, it's called um, Connections, it's a support NZ um, senior leadership conference, and they had a, a presenter there talking about burnout, and, and um, it was a really interesting session, but they said the number one cause of um, people getting burnout at work um, is values misalignment, you know, so continuing to work in an organisation where you just are day in, day out not able to be aligned with what that organisation is doing, um, you know, just for your your um, physical mental health. It's, I mean, it's interesting, but I guess not surprising either. Um, we were recently at a senior leadership conference um, for our own organisation, and at least half of that conference was based on leadership behaviours and framework and the, the, the leadership shadow you can cast and what that creates for the organisation. You know, and that's in an, an industry where results are very tangible, but it shows you that results in culture and behaviours are now inextricably linked. Andrea, I'm very keen to hear a little bit about your role at New Zealand Rugby. You joined in May last year, so you've had a little time to orientate yourself in the organisation now. When you think about the organisation's approach to recruitment, you talked a little bit about your own philosophy there um, before. Uh, is it pretty well matched and has anything surprised you about how New Zealand Rugby recruits? Um, so rugby is a very 
high profile sport in New Zealand. I mean, even more so at times like now where we're all um, watching the World Cup. And by virtue of that, you know, New Zealand rugby as a entity is very high profile. So one of the things is we don't um, get onto the retention side a minute, but in terms of attracting people, that we just do not have a challenge with, with attracting people to want to work here. Uh, if anything, um, you know, one of the byproducts we get a lot of interest um, roles. So we can put a nice roles out and get hundreds, you know, of that. So, um, so that was, you know, probably wasn't surprising to me if I sat back and thought about it, but it was one of those things where I know in a lot of other sectors, you know, they might have challenge kind of attracting people. Um, that's not something that, I mean, that causes us some other you know, challenges. Um, but that, that was, um, yeah, probably something that was reinforced to me. And I always tell this interesting story of, um, you know, previous to the strong points, another organization, which was a lot larger, I had a much larger role. Um, I mean, putting in my LinkedIn profile that I was going to work at New Zealand Rugby and I would have had like 200 people want to connect with me, um, you know, overnight. And I was like, none of you wanted to connect with me when I went to put an insurance company. <laughs> Suddenly, you know, now I work at New Zealand Rugby, I've got, you know, hundreds of more people want to be um, connected to me. So that's just the power of the brand. Interested, Shay, on, on something Andrea talked about there, which is when you deal with high volumes of applicants, uh, which is, in a way, as you say, Andrea, it's a nice problem to have, but it does also bring with it its own challenges too. Just want to share if you had any reflections on any advice you'd have for ha- hiring managers who are dealing with a huge inundation of applicants for a role. It can be very time-consuming as an employer, sifting through or filtering through valid applications. And you see it from a number of organizations which you'd almost describe as vocational, and where people have a real passion to want to work in. And New Zealand Rugby has an extremely powerful brand in New Zealand. Air New Zealand is another one that has a very strong brand in New Zealand, which doesn't necessarily have an issue with attraction. And then you've got other vocational organizations, such as Ministry for the Environment and Department of Conservation, that actually, you know, they have um, a similar issue. And the, the problem that they have is that people are wanting to work for them because they're passionate about the subject matter, more so almost than, than doing the day job sometimes. And I think that's what you've got to almost try and sift through. It's making sure that you're getting the right person who has the right expertise to help your organization move forwards. And New Zealand rugby have, I know, would have seen, have seen um, issues with this in the past where people are so passionate about rugby they almost actually forget about what their day job is and what their role is and what they need to do. So a number of organizations that have this challenge are now actually thinking they've got to move past the passion. It's great to have an interest, but they've got to move past the passion and get an understanding for that person's skill set and what they'll be able to do on the ground. Now, in terms of advice, it's almost um, making sure you've got a a diverse hiring policy so you're not only looking at people that are passionate or from a sporting background, or from an environmental background, but you've got a you've got a hiring policy when you look a lot wider at um, industries that might not necessarily be um, related directly. Yeah, and of course that's when we use our wonderful talent partners at Rob Walters. Um, you know, because we've recently done a couple of assignments. We are here. Yeah, we've worked with your team, Shay, and just you know, taking that one step out of us looking at these candidates. I think that's something that, again, as we are looking to grow and change, you know, having this new partnership with Rob Walsh is um, something I'm really excited about because I think it will give us a kind of, you know, a talent partner rather than just some, you know, a recruitment company with, with any jobs. So, 
Yeah, and talent management is so central, isn't it, to New Zealand rugby's organisational strategy. It's right at the core of what you do. You're famous for having a high-performance system that produces the world's best talent on the pitch. How does that translate, Andrea, to the talent management for the rest of your workforce? Yeah, it's interesting. And in our sports administration side of this, we actually have you know kind of three separate parts to our workforce. So we have our um, museum rather commercial entity, which is a bit more like yeah commercial, you know commercial roles. We have our rugby um, administration entity, which is you know um, more kind of supporting our core rugby teams. Um, and then we obviously have our our players who are contracted to museum rugby who are our players. So. We've obviously got different approaches, um, you know, depending on um, what part of the workforce um, we're looking at. And a lot of people, you know, expect that they'll come into the sports administration side and we'll get all these wonderful things that are in place, you know, for our um, for our professional players. And so it doesn't necessarily translate, you know, one over to the other in terms of, um, you know, having all those great things. And, you know, we get a, a conversation even on Monday in the office just about that we had some um, supplies and they're saying, oh, you know, I wonder what. You know what's been done to take care of our players, and then we're saying like they've got plenty of support around them. They have, you know, mental skills coaching, give a little bit of life that travels with them. They have, you know, clinical sites that travel with them. They have all sorts of, uh, you know, support around them uh, to make sure their performance the level that they need to because of the, you know, what they have in their job, which is high performance athlete on the field. Um, you know, they're, they're sitting here in Wellington, you know, the accounting team or the, you know, the people in culture team or something that's slightly different. So. We do have um, a great amount of resources that are in our team environment that we can pull on to, to work with us. So we do have one of our um, kind of core pillars of how we um, we work here is about having um, winning with mana, and we translate that not just to our teams in black, um, but to all of our teams in New Zealand rugby. So you know, we kind of say, well, what does winning with mana mean if you're in the if you're in the finance team, if you're in the commercial team, and um, but that's really you know working with each team to figure out what that means for them and their teams. But we typically, well, I'll ask you a question, but in terms of time management, we, we want to be a high-performing organisation on the field and on us. What I've seen personally around New Zealand rugby and, and why it's very successful, it has a commonality of behaviours and values. And I think that there was, I was going to almost liken that to other organisations where you've got different parts of an organisation, be it front office or back office or business partnering functions, and making sure everyone is working towards that um, commonality of belief, commonality of values, because that helps you ultimately achieve your outcome if everyone's aligned. I'm interested too. We, we talked about the fact that you have no difficulty attracting people to want to come and work for you. Um, what about from a retention perspective? What, what's the sort of the challenges and, and how do you rise to those challenges in the retention space? Yeah, and we do have, I mean, again, different retention issues across the, you know, different groups. But in now, um, in our sports administration side, um, often people come in here and, and think, um, yeah, you know, we might have a disconnect between, you know, what you come, you know, the All Blacks have a big brand, and you know, rugby has a big brand, and then you come to you and actually, and I know that myself, having come from a large commercial entity, we come into New rugby, and we're actually a relatively small incorporated society or NSR national sporting organisation. So um we've relatively flat structures and limited opportunities for career progression and you know limited opportunities to do, you know, some of the big um things that you might do through a larger walk. So, you know, that does create its challenges in terms of at some points people um, you know, into to chase once they come in because they love, you know, and want to and love working for rugby. But in a career sense, 
you know, there's limited opportunities to, um, you know, continue to, um, you know, to grow at a certain point beyond that. So um, in the short term, some of the things we're doing, I see that even with my team, um, is connecting them with um, opportunities outside of our organisation, but in a broader sporting context. So a range of my team, I have the medical team, and the um, kind of wellbeing team. And so they're on, um, they're involved in a number of world rugby um, committees. So they sit on the scientific committee or the national research committee. Um, I sit on a couple of world rugby committees around progressing um, wellbeing or women's affairs. And so you're kind of getting your, um, you're getting your stretch to being part of those global opportunities um, or being able to connect with organisations globally rather than because we are the biggest team in Southern New Zealand that is where people aspire to be if you want to be in this philosophy and straight role It's um, those opportunities are fantastic from a I guess from a professional sense but I know New Zealand rugby and a number of other, other organisations are the, the big challenge is a lot of organisations are looking at revisiting basic things like benefit schemes and making sure that the benefit schemes that um uh, provided to their employees are a lot more holistic now and it's not just about just KiwiSaver or X. And I think that one of the things that we've looked to do as an organisation and we're advising a lot of organisations to do at the moment is offer choice to their employees because the, the resounding feedback we're getting from our own employees and employees from the market around benefit schemes is that the, the need for flexibility within those schemes is also very important because everyone's lifestyle is a lot different. And now we're seeing a lot more benefit schemes um, being designed around people's whole lifestyle as opposed to just financial benefits. You know, this can be things like extended parental leave. Um, it might be a mortgage um, subsidy. There's a lot more variety that we're seeing in the market around benefit schemes at the moment. And I know that's something that um, a number of organisations are looking at redesigning. So I think, you know, it's quite good to... for client organisations out there to be thinking about those types of things at the moment because that's um, we're seeing a lot of people coming through the system now at, even from a very junior level um, looking for choice and wanting to design their role around their lifestyle as opposed to in the past it's almost you know you have to it's vice versa but now people it's those two things are, are very tightly linked and I think that um, there's a lot tighter balance between those two things now. So, Andrea, there's a number of skill shortages in New Zealand at, at the moment, uh, and indeed many of them apply globally, um, which makes it even more challenging to hire. Uh, are there any particular skills or job categories that you found challenging to hire, perhaps in the last 12 months? Um, and if so, what strategies or tactics have you used to find and secure hard-to-find talent? Really interesting, because um, prior to week here, I mean, I think, the, like I said before, attracting talent and meeting routes is, is not being the challenge, but actually one of the areas that people don't really probably understand about rugby New Zealand is we require old medical reports uh, to run the game of rugby. So all of our teams, um, you know, they require match day doctors, physios, paramedics, you know, to run a, a, an All Blacks game or a Super Rugby game. So that's probably been our biggest challenge this year. Um, we had one, you know, which I said, you know, someone had asked me at the start of taking this job, things I'd be required to do and sign off. Um, we uh, we had a um, in every super game you need. Um, we run um, through World Rugby. We're licensed to run the HIA process, so the head injury assessment process. Now to do that, you can't be any doctor. You've got to be a doctor that's trained, evaluated, certified to run the HIA process. So we had a situation where we found having to charter a plane to 
fly, you know, a doctor from one location to another, um, you know, to get them to a game um, so that a rugby game could be played. So I think, again, it's an interesting one just in, like most of New Zealand, you know, our medical workforce is really in demand um, that you work in rugby, you work in weekends, you're away from your family, you only work in summer of the year. So, yeah, you know, quite a range of things that we're doing, again, for our doctors and our medical staff to make that attractive for them. You know, that's looking at a whole range of things like Stacey from benefits to pay, um, to challenge, to opportunity. We, we ran this year um, for World Rugby and Instrument of Mouth Out Trial through our Fire Department, our Women's Rugby. Um, and actually, we trained up a lot of physios um, that we paid for um, to be involved in this trial. And, and so it's kind of a benefit to them because they get involved in this new technology, being involved in the trial. We paid them have a special kind of rate to be involved in that. You know, and then you know, often we've had we had a couple of good examples of people coming um, from overseas to take these roles, but then being coached back by um, our counterparts for countries at higher rates. So, yeah, that's probably an interesting thing. So, yeah, there are a range of things we're trialing, but that at the moment probably our medical workforce is our most challenging. It's interesting. In- interesting you raise that point around people coming to New Zealand, but not necessarily staying. We're seeing, you know, from a wider perspective, New Zealand as a country is facing a real challenge around the financial benefits of, of coming and living or working here. And we're, you know, we're seeing a lot of people move offshore. I mean, the, the cost of living crisis, it's not only in New Zealand, obviously that's from a, that's from a global perspective, but the salary and wages offered in New Zealand is a real attraction challenge for people to come and live and work in New Zealand. And also we're seeing a lot of talent move offshore at the moment. Um, and that is happening, you know, what I would classify as almost that doer level. So if we're seeing a dearth of doers, which I would classify from anywhere uh, or three years into a career up to about 10 years. Now, that's, that's almost industry agnostic. And that's a real challenge for New Zealand at the moment in terms of our levels of productivity. So we don't tend to have too many issues in a lot of organisations or industries at the, at the leadership level or at the very junior level. But in that middle level, we are um, going to be facing a real productivity crisis in New Zealand, I believe, and we're seeing it already, but we, I think we're going to see it for the next 12 to 24 months. And Shay, when you reflect on that, where might the answer be at an employer level? And is there anything that you'd like to perhaps see from a government level to help address those issues? I think the government are trying various initiatives to make New Zealand an attractive proposition. So they're certainly not blind to it, um, and they have been trying for a few years now. And there's, there's great organisations globally that promote New Zealand's brand, like Kia, um, Kiwi Expats Association, where there's a huge amount of very talented senior New Zealand expats offshore that promote New Zealand as a brand. So Kia do a lot. The government's trying a number of initiatives. Um, in terms of what an employer can do, obviously we need to be very open as an employer to look at overseas qualified individuals to fill skill shortage gaps. Some employers are, some employers aren't. They see it as high risk for some of the um, very um, the messages that Andrew provided before. Having that open mind around that I think is important. I think there's a significant amount of talent coming through the tertiary education system at the moment. Um, I think people at that grad level are probably a lot more confident. Um, that generation of people are a lot more confident than what people used to be. They seem to have no inhibition around 
pushing back or challenging decision-making processes, which can be challenging internally, but it also provides a real level of stimulation into an environment. So I think um, you know there's a huge amount of talent that we need to be open to bringing on board, inducting and training, because if we can't get it anywhere else, we need to train our own. We need to train those people coming through. Um, and I've seen organizations that are willing to do that and invest in that talent um, have done very well. Uh, Shay, Andrea, thank you very much for joining us in this podcast. It's been a great discussion. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Andy. And that brings us to the end of this episode in our mini-series. But the conversation is only just getting started. In fact, Andrea and Shay had so much to say that we couldn't leave it there. So listen out for part two of the discussion in a future episode coming soon where we tackle topics including employer brands, gender diversity, and employee welfare, to name just three. Thanks for listening to today's episode, which is part of Robert Walter's mini-series talking about talent with New Zealand rugby. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our channel and listen to other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening, and goodbye for now. <laughs>